welcome back to Embrace the Grain Photography Podcast. I'm Sherry Christensen, and I hope you'll enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to episode 47 of Embrace the Grain. Tonight, I have a very special guest, someone who was a huge influence and probably started some of the madness going around in this house. I have with me Jonathan Canlis. Hey, how's it going? Episode 47. That's that's an yeah. accomplishment in and of itself. So. Yeah, well, 47 episodes in a year, so I did okay. <laughs> it, it, like in a year starting like January 1st, 2020? Uh, starting last April, 2019. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, I was like, wow, you are you cranking them out, but that's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> I had to take three months off because I had a little bit of an accident and I had to take some time off. So <laughs> plus yeah. we had harvest time here on the farm and I can't podcast, take pictures and work. So I had about four months off of podcasting. So, And I no longer do them once a week. I was doing them once a week. Now it's every two weeks. It just fits in better. Yeah, that's that's good. That's good. Yeah, yeah. So why don't you start out by telling everybody a little bit about Jonathan? Oh, gosh. Okay. Um, I'm a photographer. I live in Payson, Utah. Um, I've been doing this for 21 years now. Um, I started with film, and I've never really deviated from that. Um when I say never really, I never have deviated from that. Um, <laughs> I shoot all film, which I know in 2020 sounds insane, but um, I do. Um, and because I've been shooting film so long, I ended up starting my own lab. Um, so I started and I own the Find Lab. Um, I shoot, I started, when I first started way back in the day, it was all weddings. Um, I got into photography while I was in college. Um, right. So you know, most of your college, well, at least in BYU, in Provo, a lot of those kids were getting married and, you know, Hey, John takes photos, which led to like shoot my engagements, which led to shoot my wedding, which led to this ridiculous career of shooting weddings. Um, I haven't really quit, um, because of COVID there's no weddings this year at all. Right. But um, I actually have two pretty big, hefty weddings next year, one in Seattle and then one up in, I want to say it's Calgary. It's somewhere near there. Um, it's in Canada. I know that. So um, I'd have to look exactly where. But um, yeah, but mostly now I shoot families and a ton of personal work, which entails photos of my six kids and Callie. Um, yeah. Yeah, that is a, a large family. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Our oldest is, he's 16, he's almost 17. The twins are almost 15. Uh, Lulu is 11. Um, no, 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 what am I saying? Lulu is 13. Weston Oops. is 11. Yeah, see, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. There's there's just a lot to keep track of. The youngest is almost nine. So they were yeah. all pretty, like, close. And there's twins in there, so. Yeah, yeah. Nothing like keeping you busy. Yeah, you know, yeah. not that I don't have, like, a normal photography business and a lab and also included in other businesses. That, uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm a little busy, but not yeah. busy enough to record this <laughs> podcast, that's for sure. <laughs> I, I was actually surprised. I thought, no way is he going to say yes. Oh, come on. I'll say yes. <laughs> He's going to go, also, I've got too much say. too much going on. <laughs> I thought, well. <laughs> that would be the case if this whole COVID-19 thing hadn't happened. You know, yeah. I'm pretty sure I'd be really busy right about now, shooting families, getting on yeah. planes and going wherever. Um, I've already had to can't, like I had a whole trip to Australia planned, um, during the time that they literally locked down the country, I was going to go, uh, attend a wedding for some friends of mine. And then I was shooting, uh, three family sessions while I'm there. I've had a handful of 
like shoots canceled in DC. Um, I had some stuff on the East coast, some trips to Hawaii. They're all just postponed until right. For this, you know? Right. Yeah. It kind of sucks. You mentioned you were going to be coming up into, um, the Calgary area next summer. Give me a shout. That's only five hours away. <laughs> it's a day trip. It's a day trip. <laughs> yes, yes, a day trip. <laughs> oh, that's, yeah, I'll definitely. I'll let you know. Let's. It's September. Uh, when is it? There we go. Oh. It's yeah. I think it's Labor Day weekend. It's yeah. It's in Calgary, Alberta. It's Calgary, Alberta. Dang it, why is it in the fall? I'll be sitting on the combine unless it's raining. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, you will be able to buy your own ketchup chips then. Okay. <laughs> Speaking of ketchup chips, I sent you a nice large box of them today. Oh, thank you very much. That's <laughs> fantastic. I and my children will love it, so... I, I made sure that it was enough that everybody would get some. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's not not a bag per person because I didn't have a big enough box. But... Yeah, no, that's okay. That's that's a little excessive. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So when you started out, why exactly did you stick with film instead of making the transition over to digital like everybody else did? Yeah. So. Um... Well, you know, when I first started in 1999, there really, I mean, digital had just literally, I, mean, I think there was like three megapixel cameras at the time. Like when I, when I was at, in college, like my first digital photography class was this a Coolpix 990, which mm-hmm. was, it's not even a DSLR. It was like this plastic thing that looked like a 110 camera, you know, like one of those things, but mm-hmm. it like rotated and there was a lens on it. And I swear it was like a three megapixel camera. I'm like, this is a toy i mean that's that's kind of how i honestly feel now like if you give me a digital camera to put in my hands like i don't take it seriously because you have to realize i'm coming from shooting say like a pentax 672 which is a massive it's like an oversized 35 millimeter slr you know or even bigger like the i've been shooting a ton on this fuji gx 680 which is a a medium format six by eight format film camera that weighs close to 10 pounds with a lens <laughs> you know so, like, <laughs> who needs weightlifting yeah exactly uh, biceps of steel here right. uh, I, I don't i think one of the main reasons i didn't switch was i i'm not into like elect, i just wasn't into electronics or the idea of sitting behind a computer you know, I, I got into photography because I love the magic behind the camera, mm-hmm. like that, that feeling of like, I don't know what it is. If like there's like dopamine released when I'm doing this, but like it's the closest thing to just being like ultra happy and all the, the serotonin is just released and I'm shooting. it. I love that feeling. But like you sit me behind a computer where I have to start going through the images and editing them. I mean, not to say that I don't edit my film images currently, but like the whole idea of going through and like having to cull 20 images when I could have just taken one or maybe two like that, that destroys my soul. Like I have, I don't, I I wouldn't want to have anything to do with photography. That's what photography was. So speaking of editing your images, so when you sit down to edit the ones that you do edit, do you sit down and think if it takes over a minute, I'm not editing it? Oh, for sure. And if yeah. it's taken over a minute, I need to talk to whoever scanned it uh, to get it rescanned. Because, like, when I edit an image, I mean, tops, we're talking like 30 seconds. Now, I get if I'm going to print it, like, like I've been printing a lot on this Epson P800, which is up to 17 inches wide. So I'm doing like 17 by 22, a.k.a. 15 by 20 aspect ratio prints. Um, right. And like I'll edit those a little bit further because it's such a large print, you know, and like you'll be able to tell if it's in focus or not in focus. <laughs> and especially like stuff with my kids, like I'll, I'll like clean up blemishes or I'll, I'll, I'll burn some edges and stuff. 
But again, it would never take me more than a couple minutes for something that ex- extensive, you know. But if right. it's just editing to put online to deliver to a client, like you said, if it's taking me more than a minute, like I, I just don't ever see that. You know, it's it, that shouldn't be happening. So, right, right. I think we have the same printer actually. Oh, you have a? Do you have an Epson as well? Then I do. Yeah. Yeah. I love that printer. I love it so much. I I was actually I was getting so tired of uh, ordering and having it mailed and paying the shipping, and it was shipping, 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 and ten to fifteen to twenty bucks a pop. I thought yep. this this is ridiculous, especially when uh, uh, at the time when I bought the printer, I still was taking clients and. They would want, well, I want 10 more 4 by 6s Well, you have to pay $10 for shipping. Well, you yeah. know what they're, you know they're going to run into Walmart and get them. Yeah. And I'll be honest, I've, I've rarely ever printed on that printer for clients. This is all, like, for just my own personal archives. So, like, currently, like... Because of COVID and all the free time, I'm like, I'm going to print like three prints a day, you know, and mm-hmm. I've been doing this for about a week now. And like, I'm getting through basically all the, the images that I really love of right. 2020. And now it's going to go back. Okay. Let's see what I didn't print from 2019 and then just keep going back. Um, to me, I like having the physical prints, um, I still don't know what I'm going to do with them um, outside of putting them in a box. I don't have the wall space to, like, I already have, like, this clamshell box that's probably four inches tall that's 17 by 22. So, you know, that probably fits 200 prints. Right. I don't have the wall space to hang up 215 by 20s. You know, <laughs> nor yeah. do I ever want to, but it, they're just nice to have to like go through and walks down memory lane. And like I have smaller boxes, so I print on either the eight and a half by eleven, the thirteen by nineteen, which I rarely kind of do, or I go big and it's the seventeen by twenty twos. So I've got boxes for kind of each year, you know, um, or trips that we've taken like with the family like i took the kid like my wife and all of the kids we went to japan when was this 2018 or 2007 i don't remember when it was i think it was december 2017 and i shot a ton and there's just a box of just prints from that that the kids can kind of finger through whoever decides to come over and look at them you know right right so yeah but it's it's good to have because I don't know. For a purpose like somebody wanted some more 4x6s and not having to charge them that money. Plus, I can print all my own stuff off. And Yep, yep. Yeah. Do you get like a trimmer and everything, like a, a rotary trimmer? I do have one of those. And just I went to actually the sewing store and got the ouchless mat. Oh, nice. So it's it's made for material, but you can it, you can do the paper <laughs> on it. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's really great. Yeah. So you had mentioned earlier that you have the Find Lab. Tell us a bit more about that. Oh gosh, what do you want to know? Um, we develop and scan film. So it started as an extension of the workshop that I used to do. Um, called film was not dead and like before there was fine in a box i would like travel to cities all over you name it and you know we would have this workshop and i'd get up there and i would talk about how you know if you want to become a better film photographer you need to start shooting outside of your paid gigs you know do some practicing do shoot some personal work find some projects that are going to stretch you as a photographer stretch your voice to be able to communicate what it is that you want to do And if you're going to do that, there weren't a lot of options around 2010, 2011, you know, um, there, there, there were pretty large labs like Richard photo lab, but it was like 22 bucks a roll. And for a lot of, I mean, there were some pretty like 
high-end wedding photographers come into these workshops, but a lot of them were also hobbyists that couldn't really per se afford $22 a roll. So we tried to do something that was a little economical and also an extension of the workshop. So when you'd send in film, we'd give you feedback and kind of walk you through what was working or here's some tips to maybe like shoot this time in this kind of light, you know, maybe you need a lens hood. So there's not so much lens flare and whatever, you know? So that started in February of 2011 and it was private. So it was only for the attendees. And then we went public, I believe in like 2013. And then from there it's been, it's just, it's exploded. We, I, I feel we've become one of the largest labs in the world. Right, right. And you've went from just developing film and doing feedback and helping the new photographers to actually selling film. Yeah, we sell film and I pride ourselves on selling it at the cheapest price point possible because, I don't know, I don't really feel like I'm not in the business to make money on selling film. Like I want to get as much film into people's hands as humanly possible so that people are shooting film. Because if I can get it into your hands, I know what the end results are going to be for you. Like I know what it feels like to shoot film and be excited to get those scans back. You yes. Know? It's, it's, uh, it's very addictive. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Christmas. It is. It's like Christmas. It's, it's just something that is universally it's going to make everyone happy even if you have a role that has a lot of like say you get a you shot a role of 35 and you know like 30 of those images are are just didn't work out or didn't turn out the way you wanted but those six that do turn out like it, it i don't know it, may, it makes you want to come back for more you know exactly the very first role i ever shot didn't turn out a hundred percent but i to be fair, I did not know what I was doing at all, <laughs> and, but I still loved the look. Yeah, so, and I, that's one of the, I think, the other reasons why I kept with it is the look. Like, when you shoot film, you have a lot more options than, say, if you're shooting digital. You know, I mean, there are a handful of more cameras now, um, comparatively speaking to, say, like the late 90s, early 2000s, but like with medium format, like the specific looks I can get with like a twin lens reflex or um, a larger format camera or, you know, specific lenses, like old school lenses that render totally different than anything that you would see digitally. You know, mm -hmm. I just love the look of it. I love the look and I love the three, like it, it's, it's, it's how I want to capture my reality, you know? Right, right. So, yeah. So you've had you've had quite a transitions where you went from traveling around to weddings, and then you mentioned you did in person workshops, and where I first ran into you was your online workshop. Yes. Find in a box. Yes. There now, is no box. <laughs> <laughs> sure, there is. Yeah. You're staring at it. It's, it's, it's the computer. Yes. That's, that's, <laughs> I'm glad somebody did pick up on that. Cause that's, it's the internet, your computer, whatever it is. So yeah. find for those that aren't familiar. So I started the find lab. That's the acronym for film is not dead. So right. find the box is basically the film is not dead workshop in an online format and a lot more access in the terms of like the Facebook group, you know, like, no, we don't get to have three days where we just, you know, live and breathe film for three days, but you do have all the PDFs and everything. And then there's an online community, which I think is pretty incredible. So what's really incredible for someone like me is I live in a very rural remote area and film is dead here. Mm. So everything that I get, I get offline i get all my information offline i get um 98 of my film offline everything everything yeah. comes from offline yep 
And that little community, I know lately I have been lurking in there, but I still pop in there and and, and read and check yeah. people's stuff. And I, I should <laughs> maybe say something more often, but I have been just lurking. <laughs> but that, that's, that's the great part about the workshop is that, one, you don't got to get on a plane. You know, you can do it from the comfort of your own home at the pace that you want. You don't got to get dressed for the day. You don't got to do your hair. Like the great thing is, is that I feel the community really is is so unique in the fact that there's not there's not egos there. No one has like a hinted agenda. Everyone is really in there to like help each other along their film journey, which is really nice. So like you and because it's an online thing, it is now accessible to so many more people versus, okay, I'm doing a workshop in Seattle and it's only accessible to the 12 people that come to Seattle during these specific dates, you know? Exactly. It's, it's really cool because you now have this like network of tires from all over the world, you know? And, and a lot of it, you know, I could go back and read it again and again, and I learned so much yes, from it. Yeah all just archived on that horrible thing called Facebook. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, there's that too, but even like the PDF, I got them printed off on Blurb. Oh, there you go. So if I want to go and reference it, I've got my little magazines because yep. they belong to me and I go and I reference them and, you know, okay, that's what that was. And I can experiment a little bit more with something. Yep. So, yeah, it's pretty awesome that way. And and now you've moved on from that. You are starting a studio in your hometown of Payson. Yeah, so, you know, I said I've been doing this for 21 years. And during those 21 years, I have been known to never really be established where it is that I lived. I never had a studio space. Like I've either run my whole entire business out of a closet, a laundry room, which is insane. Like, cause it's not, I mean, it's, it's a substantial business run out of a closet. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, we moved here to Payson July. So it's almost been three years, July of 2017. And the home we bought was a super historic home built in 1880. So it didn't have a garage or anything. It had like a place where you, you know, come and like pitch your horse, like a little thing that you tie your horse to, right? So um, it's Utah. So the winters are pretty bad. There was no driveway. It was just like all gravel. So um, I, I took out a business loan and decided we're going to build a three car garage for Cali. And I'm going to build a studio space where I don't have to be in because I was in the laundry room until this was completed, which was just, oh, man, I think in February. So it hasn't. Well, no, maybe Jan, I don't know when it was. You know, with all those teenagers and you're yeah. in the laundry room. <laughs> exactly. So like if I had a Skype like this where you're recording, I had to do it somewhere besides my office because what you would see behind my head was the dryer. <laughs> you know, so. I built uh, a really nice uh, studio shooting area that has all north-facing windows. I have an 18 by 26 foot, all white walls with super elevated ceilings to do studio work because I kind of wanted to, and this is before COVID. So like I was trying to pivot before COVID forces everyone to pivot, you know, I wanted to make it so that people would come to me. Because for years, I've been getting on planes and saying, hey, I'm coming to this place. I'll shoot three or four families and I come home, which is awesome. I'm not complaining. It's fantastic. I've been able to see a lot of the United States and beyond. Um, but, you know, as my kids are getting older, I mean, that's kind of why Finding a Box came about. I was, I was doing these workshops once a month and I'd be gone for at least a week and a half, you know? Right. And so, which, which is awesome. Don't get me wrong. I loved it. It was fantastic. It just was taking a toll. And like through like personal conversations with like our kids, like my oldest son said, man, I thought you just didn't want to be home because you didn't like us. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, that's, yeah, you know, like, cause you know, my kids didn't 
understand why I was gone all the time. And they just assume that's why. And I was, it's the complete opposite. I was working so hard so that I could be home, you know? So, um, I, I kind of wanted to just establish myself now that we've moved here, we moved. So we lived in Hawaii before we moved here. Uh, I lived on the Island of Oahu on the North shore and we basically moved back because of the find lab. Like it was experiencing some crazy growth and I was coming back every five weeks and I was like, I, I think it's time. We, I mean, we got to live the dream. It was fantastic, but we moved back. And now that I've moved here, I'm never moving again. Like, (laughs) Put that in stone. It's especially now that I've built this studio, you know. So I would like to establish myself as the photographer that lives in Payson. And people come to me if they want to. Um, I had a session last, like even still in COVID, I had a session last week on Saturday. I just got the scans back today, and I have a family session on Monday. Um, and I've got another, like I've got, like I probably, I'm not going to be shooting the amount that I was when I was traveling. I don't know. Maybe I could. I just haven't got to that volume yet. But, um, you know, it's like three, four sessions a month. So like one a week, which is great for me because it's literally like 26 steps out my back door to get to the because the garage is, and studio is not connected to the home, you know. So. Right. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. Your your yard sounds a lot like mine. Gravel driveway. <laughs> <laughs> not anymore. Not anymore. We have like full on like full-on driveways now so that's kind of nice but (laughs) yeah yeah so um i actually i i had a friend who had a question for you now what she was looking at was your um work shooting the football team when you lived in hawaii yes and um it was a personal project correct no 100 percent Yes. So um, what my friend, is, uh, Betsy Carl, wanted to know, she was interested in your approach with the Roley. Do you focus on the sidelines or on the action? Yeah, so with the Roley, for those that are um, not familiar with what that camera is, it's a twin lens reflex. It was a camera from 1969. Um, there's a it's called twin lens because there's two lenses. There's the taking lens and the viewing lens, and you look down into this camera. And it's a fixed lens camera, so there's no zoom. Like, zoom is your feet. So, And it's an 80-millimeter lens, which is basically like a 50-millimeter 1.4 on a 35 full frame, you know? So I really wasn't focusing on like tackles. I would get action shots if they came close. I mean, I probably got almost knocked over like three times, like sidestep. And then some big, huge someone kid just rolls past me, you know? (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, to me, the whole point of the project, um, wasn't about football per se. Um, in the town that we lived, football is, it's huge. It's like, West Texas huge, you know, like the whole town shuts down. There are more NFL players that have come out of that high school than pretty much any other high school in, in the nation. Like from that, that year that I just shot, there was a kid that just got drafted by, um, the Dallas Cowboys. He's going there, uh, when they start up the season. So, um, there's another kid that will probably get drafted next year when he's a senior and we'll see what goes from there. But to me, it was more about the community. This was a personal project. I didn't get paid. I didn't ask for any payment. I probably shot over the two and a half years that I sh- was there documenting it, probably like close to 25 games, you know, and I, and they were all over the island. So I'm driving wherever. And like, that's the thing is like, I know you're like, well, he's driving to wherever, but like when you drive on the island, it's an hour to go 20 miles, you know? So <laughs> Um, I was focusing more on, on the players and the community, which is what, um, was the driving force behind that, that, that story, because it, it wasn't about the tackles. It was about how these players were doing everything they could to possibly bring opportunity to their family. 
because living on the North Shore of Oahu, there's not a lot of either you're in working at a hotel, construction, or doing some kind of tourism. There's not a lot of job opportunity. But if you can work really hard and get like you know get a uh, recruited by a college team, you're going to go to college. It's money that you can give back to your family. You know, a lot of those parents were working two to three jobs, both parents, you know. So it was a way out. And a lot of those kids, I don't know that they love football per se, but it just was an opportunity and they were just built for it. You know, it's a lot of Samoan and and Hawaiian Polynesian kids that are just massive, like 15-year-old kids that are like 280, 6'3", you know. (laughs) So, um, yeah. But – if she wants to shoot it, it's totally up to her. That's, that's that's kind of the great thing about personal work is you get to determine the story that you want to tell. I did it because I knew it was the greatest way to become a part of our community because when football games happen, the whole community shuts down. Everyone is at the game. And it was a way for me to get to know families in, in our community that it's not a very big community to begin with, you know? So. I became known as the one guy that shot the cool black and white photos of the football players. So yeah. I think, I think that's exactly what she is to everybody is uh, she goes out and shoots. Now she does shoot normally shoot digital, but she wanted to try on her rolly. And um, she also had a, a part B to the question. She was wondering what type of lighting you had, example was it dusk or was it true friday night lights true friday night lights and i shot one film stock and one film stock only and that was ilford hp5 and i always rated it 3200 so my exposure depending on where i was on the sidelines and how bright the lights were because it kind of like i knew what it was at home turf but if we went to like some of the newer high schools, it would be a little bit brighter, but I'd range anywhere from 30th of a second at F28 to 250th of a second at F28. Okay. Yeah. So other people might find that interesting to hear too. I don't know. She's a huge football fan and, and loves the local games herself. So. Yeah. So my son, who's never played a game of football in his life, decided to uh, try out this year cause it's going to be his senior year, you know, uh-huh. and he got out, he got on the team. So he's doing two a days right now. And I'm in talks with the, uh, the coach right now and the principal to see if I can get permission to do what I did for Kahuku for here in Payson. So we'll see. Oh, how I... cool. That's so cool. Yeah I'm, yeah. I'm super excited. And it's, it's different now because I actually, you know, I have a kid that's playing on the team. So It'd be nice to kind of document this for him and also get to know the people in our community as well. So, Exactly. So um, I'm going to ask you, of all the cameras that you've sold, Oh, gosh. (laughs) Which one do you regret selling the most? The most? Uh... Okay, so let me ask, because there, there there's one that I regretted the most, but I just recently got it back. So you don't want to hear about that one, right? <laughs> oh, no, I want to hear about it. <laughs> okay, so I'll, I'll, I'll give you two answers. The cameras that I regretted the most, and I got three of them. There's three of them. There's Go for two. it. So, okay, here we go. So I regret selling my Pentax 672 with the Cinelux uh, 110 F2 lens. Um, and I recently got, I was able to purchase the Cinelux lens for like pennies. It was just, it was crazy, stupid cheap. And I had it for six months cause I didn't have the body. And I was like, I'm just, I can't justify dropping this coin on this body that I bought for hundreds of dollars less than what it is now. And it was already expensive then, but I got it back and I've been, I've probably put 30 rolls in it in the last week. So, um, there's that. (laughs) So that I got back. So that's the biggest one that I regret. Number two, there's two other cameras that I regret selling, but I don't know that I'll get them back. There's one that I'm, the one that I'm leaning towards getting back is the Bessa. It's a Bessa R2A. 
um, with a 35 millimeter Zeiss lens. So Bessa is basically, in my opinion, um, it's better than a Leica. It's just like a Leica. It's a rangefinder and everything, but it loads like a normal camera. I don't have to take the bottom plate off. And I don't know if you've ever tried to load a Leica before, but if you haven't and you buy a Leica, like be ex- be expected to be let down and be like, Oh, it's something I have to learn. That's new. Cause it just, it doesn't load like a normal 35 millimeter camera. So no, I have a friend who is a huge Leica fan and he has one of the older ones that you load from the bottom. So I've, yep. I've heard all about it. <laughs> I hate it. I hate it so much. Like, and I know some people are like, Oh, it's the experience. Like I just, I, it, I don't know. There's something about it, it being a Leica name, you know, and like some of the lenses and bodies are just so astronomically expensive, expensive that to me, they're like cameras for lawyers and doctors or like the guy that like shoots on the weekends and shoots like Chrome gets the highest scans possible and gets them in TIFF. And like the photos are horribly boring, <laughs> you know, but anyway, so I like the Bessa. It's basically a real 35 millimeter. It also goes to two thousandth of a second on the shutter speed, which is really cool. And it loads like a normal camera. There's an A version, which has a light meter. You can shoot aperture priority. And then there's an M um, camera, which is all manual. So there's no battery involved, but it doesn't do aperture priority. So not sh- I think I'm probably leaning towards getting the A, but we'll see. I'm I'm waiting for a tax return. We'll see what happens if I get it or not. But you'll you'll see. <laughs> to me, it's 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 a really great. I really love the body of work that I created when I was just shooting my kids. Like I just grabbed that camera and we would just hang out, and it was just really documentary photojournalism of my kids. And I kind of miss that. So. Right. Okay. And the, and then third. the third camera that I I really regret selling was the Rolleiflex 2.8F that I shot all the football on. Um, it was a like I said, it was a 1969 Rolleiflex 2.8F. I had a bright screen in it, and I cannot explain to you how fast I was with that camera. I sold it because. The the taking lens had some coating issues, so I couldn't shoot backlit. Like if I shot backlit, I would get these weird um, like refractions. They look like uh, praying mantis mouth, and okay. it was over, over like the middle of the frame. So it just was not pleasing at all. Oh. And I ended up selling it for a, a different camera, and then sold that camera, and then sold that camera, and I just haven't gone back to it. Yes. Oh, well, there's always, uh, there's lots of those out there. Yeah. The one thing I've thought about, like, that I never had really ever thought about, now that I'm, like, getting into, like, really reading up on, um, like, biographies of photographers that I admire, a lot of them didn't ever sell their gear. Like they would just hold on to it. And it was like the one the, here's here is the camera that produced all of my work. And I don't know that I have had a camera that long enough to be able to say, yeah, here's the original one that I, I did those photos on. Like uh, I'm very fickle, like I'll love a camera. And then all of a sudden, like I just I get bored of it. I'm like this look, it's just so basic. I can't I need something different and I'll sell it. And then I realized like six months later, that wasn't basic. That was incredible. Why in the world did I give that up? But I did. So. <laughs> yeah, you're dumping your girlfriends. Yeah, well, <laughs> that is one way to look at it. But I, I didn't do that in real life. So um, that's that doesn't really apply. But in, in, in Hawaii, like we, I couldn't own a lot of cameras just because it was so humid. And like, if a camera was sitting around, and wasn't being used all the time, it would just go toast. You could never leave batteries in it cause it would rust out or like the acid would pour out. Um, if you left a lens in a bag for too long, it would get moldy. Like, so that, I think that's one of the re- main reasons, um, that I narrowed things down to like literally the bare minimum. If I wasn't using the camera, it was gone. 
But then we right. moved back to Utah, and I've slowly acquired <laughs> all my stuff back. <laughs> it it happens. Yeah. I, you know, I started out with two film cameras. I don't know how many I've got now, but there's drawers and drawers of them. Yeah. I, I, I wish I would have kept a lot of those just so that in terms of like posterity, like to be able to say here to one of these six children that's going to hopefully take the torch and run with it. Here's the camera that I used. If you decide to use it, awesome. If not, please don't throw it away or sell it. <laughs> yes. Yes. I, okay. Speaking of that, you've got six kids. Yes. Do any of them show an interest in photography? They do. It, it's hard because I can't just be like, hey, here's my Pentax 6-7. Why don't you go shoot with it? I'm not doing that. <laughs> you know, like, I'm not letting them kind of handle any of my gear because it, it's expensive. And if it gets dropped, you know, it's, it, it's, not, it's not happening. But uh, that being said, uh, Ruby and Lulu have both, um, for their birthdays, got Instax. Mm-hmm. I bought them the S the SQ, which is basically a square one. Um, and yesterday, actually, I, I took the kids just kind of like on a road trip around here in Utah. We drove about an hour south to this kind of old mining town, and Lulu was just popping off photos like it was nothing. So Lulu is the one that's expressed that she wants to become a film photographer. Like she, those are her exact words. <laughs> Which I was like, oh, that's cool. That's great. So I, I'm assuming one of these six kids will will hopefully run with this. Um, but they're all still so young, it's it's kind of hard to tell. I mean, again, I didn't get into it until I was, what is that? What's 1999? I was 24 at the time, you know? Right. So there's still yeah. just find out, but... But so being that she might have an interest, have you thought about maybe picking up something like simple for her to start with, like a Canon AE one? Yeah, I've thought about that now that she's so we we, like I said, like we just got her the her birthday was on the 18th of this month. So she got her first camera now. I like previous to this, uh, the three girls, I bought them like this, like really super generic um, like kind of point shoot film camera. It was called, uh, I think it's called the super fat boy, but it's basically like a 21 millimeter lens. You put 35 millimeter film in it. There's no F stops. You just wind it and shoot. It's like, I think it was fixed at like F 11, you know? And I was like, don't shoot indoors. Well, well, and of course they would shoot indoors and they'd turn out really good. I was like, wow, these are good. These are good. But those kind of broke and we'll see. So I think it is something I need to start considering. Like, let's go get you like a nice Canon AE one. Cause they are still pretty inexpensive. I mean, you can get a kit for like 75 bucks, you know? Yeah. Maybe I'll make them mow the lawn so they can get them. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm, I'm not the dad that's just like, Hey, here, this is for you. And let's do this. You're going to work for this so that, you know, you yeah. kind of have, a little bit more respect for it versus it just being free and given to you, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, I actually am teaching my four-year-old grandson how to shoot. He's got a little point-and-shoot digital that I bought him him at the uh, thrift shop. So if he drops it, it costs two bucks. Yeah, there you go. That's great. See, and I think that's the problem is I don't know that I could give them a digital camera because if something like went wrong with it or like they were like, now what do I do with it? Now I've shot it. I don't know that I could teach them. Like, I don't know. I think you plug it into the computer and you download. (laughs) I don't, I don't know anything about it. (laughs) I just pop the card out and throw it in the back of the computer (laughs) and he can look. (laughs) it's so out of my vernacular. Like people are like, so you don't even own a, like I own an iPhone. That's the only digital camera that I own. Like my world is film. Like I just don't know. <laughs> I don't know. You can't teach this old jog new tricks. So. <laughs> well, I do have plans for him when he is about eight to get, get going on film. So yeah. that's four years away. 
time flies. So it's quick. Oh, I know. Uh, one thing that you always said is shoot Ektar at 400 <laughs> plus two. And I have, I have a funny story for you. So at one time I did that and I sent it off to beings that I'm in Canada. The exchange rate is horrific to go to the U.S. So I quit sending to the South and I sent it to a lab up here and they said, are you sure you want to do that? Because Ektar, you have to shoot that at 100 and, and rate it just right. I said, just process it. <laughs> and it, it come out exactly perfect how I wanted it. There you go. And, uh, they, they, you know, why, why did or how did you come across this? So I had shot Ektar a little bit previous to this. So, you know, you're saying, oh, you say shoot Ektar at 400. Man, I don't shoot Ektar at 400 or let alone shoot Ektar at all anymore because I live in Utah. When I was living in Hawaii, Ektar was king. Like it just was the color palette of Hawaii. You know, everything is bright and vivid and saturated. And Utah just isn't, I don't know, like a desert landscape doesn't scream Ektar to me, you know. Um, but I just tried because it was so bright um, and plus I was shooting everything at 400. So I was like, let's just try this. And I did a couple tests, you know, like when finding a box came out, like that's the thing as I tried Ektar at 200, I didn't really like it. I tried it at 400, loved it, tried it at 800. And, uh, it works depending on the kind of light you shoot in. If it's really well lit, it's amazing. And then I tried it at 1600 and that is horrible. Don't ever try it. Don't even waste your time. It's disgusting. So <laughs> Um, I found it and I loved it. I just love the grain. I love when I was, and a lot of the times I was shooting it in a direct sun, like just harsh, harsh sun. And it just looked good. It, it toned down the red, in my opinion, that was happening. Like if you didn't, you know, if you overexpose Ektar, it's going to go very red. And, um, even if I overexposed a stop and I pushed it, these two stops to 400, it just, it was a really pleasing color palette. So I blame Hawaii for that that whole thing because and now that we're gone, I'm not shooting it that way at all. I can't tell you the last time I shot a Rolectar. <laughs> okay, I've done it here in the summer when there's lots of light, yep. not in the winter, and it turns out. But you have to have that really bright light. Yeah, yeah. Like if you shoot Ektar plus two, so if you shoot it at 400 in the shade, the shadows go really blue. Really, really blue. But I've also shot it indoors and had success. Oh, cool. And uh, I, I don't know why it worked out, but the blacks were black and the skin tone of uh, my grandson was perfect and the colors just popped. And I went, this works. Yeah, it does. I mean, it really is um, discovering what lighting situation it works for because... Sometimes it doesn't, but when it does, it's because of the quality of the light, in my I opinion. Th I think you're right. So also, there's Portra 800. You uh, also say that is a 400 film. Yeah, that's that's all I've been shooting. Um, like, like I told you, I, I ran close to 30 rolls. So I think it's more like 25 or I might be on roll. I've got 20, roll 26 in the camera now for that Pentax 6.7 with the Cinelux combo. Um, I shoot Portrait 800 in that camera exclusively. I rate it at 400, meter for the shadows, and then push it to stop in the developing. <laughs> Do you have a guest? <laughs> well, Callie just walked in and out. This is okay. <laughs> in an old house, so everything is freaky. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's good to have sound effects. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> that's okay. I guess that's for the radio that sounded like, yeah, like a haunted house or something, maybe. That's funny. <laughs> I, I don't know. At, um, Halloween time, I, I have one of those little Google minis and I told it to be scary and it totally freaked out all the kids because it just sounded like a total haunted house and they come in and this thing would be playing and they just go out. <laughs> 
That's funny. And I thought, oh, that's maybe for the older kids. But yeah, anyway, back to topics. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Documenting your family. So do you have any tips for, especially people who tend to see the camera and turn away from you? Yeah, so it's funny, like, there was a, I don't know, it was maybe in November, um, it just was really bleak, and like, I was kind of overshooting indoors black and white, and so I kind of had kept the cameras in arm's length. I hadn't picked them up, and my youngest son came to me and said, Dad, you haven't taken my photo lately. And I was like, oh, my gosh. If you, as an eight-year-old kid, are recognizing that your dad is not taking your photo, this is bad. (laughs) You know? So most of the kids know that I'm going to, and I'm going to be honest, I force them to do things. Like, Yesterday when we went on this trip, just around Utah, driving around, there were times I was like, you're all going to come over here. You're going to stand on this line and you're going to do this until I'm done taking one or two photos, you know? So um, I always bring a camera with me like on like outings like that because to me it's, it's, it's my form of journaling almost, you know? Like – it's really hard for me to not bring a camera if we go do some kind of family activity and I'm not shooting the whole time. So we, to put it in perspective, we left the house probably around 1130 in the morning and didn't get home till about 9 PM. And I shot five rolls of 120 on a Pentax six, seven. So I took 50 photos during the day. Right. That's it. You know, which if you think about 50 photos, that's a lot, I guess, but not as much as if I had been, you know, shooting digitally where there is no limitation or thought of like, okay, I don't have any parameters here. I can just shoot to my heart's content until I fill this card where when I told you I took 50 photos, I took 50 different photos. You know, right. there might be a couple where I took two, but it's going to be really rare, you know, I'm going to come back with 45 different photos, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, say, say that you are out and you're with extended family, ones that aren't maybe used to you having a camera up in their face all the time. And they go, Oh, I don't want my picture taken. (laughs) so so all my extended family know that i have a camera with me at all times (laughs) and if they i i think i've had i've got one nephew that was like i don't want you to take my photo and i'm just kind of the personality where i i don't take no for an answer so i'll joke a little you know i'll try to finesse his personality appeal to him in that way. And then I start taking photos. So I I don't, I just don't take no for an answer. I really don't. Like, um, I posted this today on Instagram, um, about a documentary that I saw in college called light and darkness, which was about Richard Avedon. Um, and one of the main takeaways I took from that documentary was that photography is 1% you pushing the button and 99% of you using your personality per, to portray what it is that you want to say. So at one point in this documentary, he's shooting the, the, the Duke and Duchess of, I'm not sure where they're, they're just some dignitaries. And of course, if they're going to do a sitting for Richard Avedon, they're going to be smiling and putting on this face, right? This, this thing that they're going to portray. But at the time they were going through this really nasty, like, um, I guess there was an affair. Anyway, th- just the what was really happening between them was not being shown in the photo that Richard Avedon wanted to to take. And he knew they were dog lovers. So he, as he's taking these photos and realizing, oh, gosh, this is just the facade that you want everyone to see, he basically made up a story that on his walk over to the shoot, he saw a dog get run over. 
and their faces immediately dropped and he got the photo that he wanted versus what the subject is going to always try and portray. You know, like if you're doing family photos or portraits of someone, they want to be seen. They're going to try and project a specific kind of look and or feel, which is fine. That's your job to document, but it's also your job to take the situation and get what it is that you need, even if they're not giving it to you. Right. So right. for an example, if I have a niece or a nephew or someone that's like, no, I don't want you to get my take my photo, I'm going to use my personality to get on their side to make them ease up to where they're going to ask me to come take their photo versus don't take my photo. Okay. Because I'm sure that all of us probably have at least one or two people in our families that say, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, just getting around it, because um, I have to say, it was in 2014, my brother-in-law passed away of cancer. Mm. And when we went to do up his funeral cards, there were six pictures of him in existence. Wow. And Four of them were school portraits. Jeez. And one was his wedding portrait, and the other one was a snapshot with a girl that was not his wife. <laughs> wow. So okay. you can't really use any of those. So we, I ended up having to use part of his wedding portrait for that. But it really made me hit home that I need to be shooting more of my family. Yeah. And I, I, oh, sorry, go ahead. A lot of them were not used to me doing that, so I got a lot of people turning away. Hmm. What kind of camera were you using, can I ask? I've used everything from my uh, digital, which looks like a normal one, um, to uh, point and shoots, to Nikon FE, you know, the chrome one, and mm -hmm. my TLR, I've got a Roly uh, 3.5F, mm -hmm. uh, I've got a Pentax 645, uh, yeah, it doesn't matter what, it, even the Polaroid. <laughs> hmm. I, I've, I have found that I'll, like when I have a camera that I'm looking down into, I can be a lot more stealth. Um, and it, it's not so like it, there's just a different feel when someone has a camera to their face with a longer lens. Like it, it's, it's kind of obtrusive, you know? And when you are looking down into something, especially in 2020, like it just, most, especially young kids, they're not going to associate it with you taking a picture. They're just like, well, what's this crazy uncle of mine looking down into this thing for? Like, I don't, I don't know. I think, I think another thing I, I was, I, I was trying to say a second ago, I think one of the main reasons I'm so fascinated with taking so many photos of my own kids or my family or our extended family for that case is that, you know, I lost my dad at... I, oh, I had just turned 20. Um, this is back in 1995. And he was considerably older than my mom. He was 27 years older. So I didn't really know him all that well. Like, you know, when I was 15, he was 65, you know? So I didn't That's really... A big gap. It is a big gap. And, you know, at, at 15, you don't want to be hanging out with your dad, let alone your 65-year-old dad, you know? So I, I lost out on a lot of just normal things that I think fathers and sons would do, you know, and I feel like, like if you come into, so we, I told you I built this three car garage, the, it's all white walls. So we finished it. It's drywalled and painted and it is from floor to ceiling, uh, like 180 degrees of photos. I, I had my, like I have my right thumb. I lost feeling in because I had pushed so many push tacks into the wall. 
putting oh. up photos. <laughs> it's just this massive, like all the Instax, all the photos I've taken of my kids over the last 16, 17 years. So there's like photos of like my son as like four days old hanging up in the garage. And it's just this walk down memory lane that I don't know. I feel like it's like, if I miss a moment, I feel like I don't, I can't, it's gone forever. Like I, I won't remember it where if I have the photo of it, like I, I, you can't take that away from me, you know? Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, total. However, we are coming up on the one hour mark. Okay. So is there anything else that we've missed? No. Um, so anybody listening, I just want to reiterate that there's nothing wrong with shooting digital. Um, as long as you can portray what it is that you want to say photographically, it doesn't matter if you shoot film or not. I love film, and I feel that if you were a full-on digital photographer and I gave you a roll of film, the experience is going to blow your mind. It's it's a very different feeling of being limited to 36, uh, 24, 12, 16 photos per roll, you know? And then having to be able to swallow the fact that it's going to cost you money to send it off and get the images back. I really right. like the limiting sense of it. But um, try it out. It could change your life. Who knows? So I have, I have one more question for you. Have you ever developed your own? My own film? Yes. In college, yes. I developed a ton of black and white. I've never really done color. Um, but, I mean, even at the lab, like, there were times where I would be the one developing my own film so yeah i don't okay. like the scanning part of it like it's it's a whole nother process that i do love being in the dark room like making prints like that's that there's nothing greater than seeing like an image form from nothing you know it's like magic it's the closest thing to magic you can get you you put this thing under light you put it in some chemistry and all of a sudden silver just appears like that's incredible. Everyone should have that experience. Um, but is it, you know, am I going to be developing and scanning all of the film that I shoot myself? No, that's where, that's where a lab comes in. Well, of <laughs> course, if, if I owned a lab, I would be using it too. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that's interesting about the dark room. Do you have any plans in the future of maybe putting one up in your new place? Um, we've, we were in full on thoughts of doing that at the lab and then COVID happened and things just got put on the back burner. But in an ideal world at the fine lab, there would be a community dark room. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. I think that so would cool. be amazing. Yeah. So, and it's nice that, uh, I'm not sure exactly how big your little town is, but it's so neat that, uh, you like. Everyone hears Salt Lake City's huge, but I'm not sure how big Payson is. Payson is a very small town. <laughs> so I to have it, have film resources is amazing. Yeah. And, you know, the lab is – it's a 20-minute – so if you're near Calgary or Alberta, you know, it's I-15. I-15, just straight shot. It's, it's maybe a two-minute drive from my house to the highway – and then 15 minutes on the highway and then a two minute drive from the highway to the lab. So it's, it's not bad. Like it's like 20 minutes from here. So. Well, yeah, that's awesome. Crazy. I know. But you're talking to the road trip queen that drove from jackpot, Nevada home. So in one day with two kids. <laughs> oh. There weren't many stops. Being traumatized driving from like (laughs) Missouri to Florida, Missouri to California. Uh, I mean, I love I I love the memories, but like in the actual moment, I'm like, this is the worst thing ever. I don't know whose idea (laughs) this was, but this is horrible. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I asked them, "Do you want to stop in Montana for the night?" No, let's just go home. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Everyone was wanting to go home. So, yeah, I guess that about covers it, yeah. I think. Oh, it's, that's been awesome that you came on. Thank you so much. 
Thanks for having me. I hope it was, I hope no one fell asleep. And if you made it this far, congratulations. (laughs) Uh, I've listened to some podcasts that are much longer than this one. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess we will sign off and uh, everybody stay positive. And embrace the green. See you next week. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you have any questions for Jonathan, um, get in touch with me at uh, embracethegreenpodcast at gmail.com. That's embracethegreenpodcast at gmail.com. And I will forward your questions to him for answers. Um, Also, you can hit me up on Instagram at embrace underscore the underscore grain. You can also find John over on Instagram under the film is not dead or the find lab. I forgot to do that on the show. Also, I have recently opened a Ko-Fi. I need to upgrade my laptop. It is 11 years old. So it's in the double digits and it is slowing down and it will need an upgrade. So any little bit that you could spare would be greatly appreciated. That is at ko-fi slash embrace the grain podcast that's ko-fi slash embrace the grain podcast i really would appreciate the help and until next week everybody stay positive and embrace the grain